0: A tiger Is it a shark? Yes, but not just a shark. Well then what is it? Tiger plus a
1: shark. What 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 what, tiger shark? Oh
0: what
2: tiger shark? Oh
0: what Tiger shark shark. going it kill these people? We think so. But the gray white is
1: everyone and welcome back to let's jaws for a minute the podcast which takes a deep dive into steven spielberg's 1975 classic film jaws minute by minute or thereabouts i'm mj smith
0: and i am sarah buttery and we have a guest with us today as well i think i mentioned him way back on the intro episode or episode one as i appeared on one of his podcasts talking about jaws Um, and it is tom beasley tom welcome
2: Hello. Yeah, it was when you mentioned me on that first episode, it was like that, it was very much that Leonardo DiCaprio meme of him pointing at the screen. It was like, hey, <laughs> <laughs> that's me, It's yes. me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, yes, you were on a podcast I, I used to host called uh, the Pick of the Flicks podcast, where I would ask people to talk about their favourite films. And I was delighted when you chose Jaws because it is also my favourite film and um so yeah we had a, a lovely conversation i believe we went and sat in the picture house central when that was the thing people were allowed to do
0: yeah i was gonna say we we recorded uh in person back when we were allowed to those heady days when we were allowed to leave our houses and and sit in in bars in london and, and record podcasts so oh, wow. what was that, was that like wow i mean <laughs> tell we'll, me about the
1: old times
0: yeah <laughs> All very different back then. It was all yeah. black and white. No, I know, yeah. And now, um, now you're what
2: you're what, a dozen episodes into this podcast without ever having done it in person. I've done thirty yeah. or forty episodes of a new podcast without doing it in person. <laughs> it's crazy times.
0: It really is. I mean I think we would be hard pressed to do our like regular episodes in person, but potentially with some guests sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Would. It would be, it would be prohibitively
1: <laughs> expensive to record every episode. In person,
0: yeah. Just pop over the ocean. That's how that's it, it works. It. Um <laughs> So you mentioned, Tom, obviously, that uh, Jaws is your favourite film. So that's a great start for coming on a minute-by-minute breakdown of Jaws podcast. Um, but wonder if you could tell us what it is about Jaws you, you love so much, perhaps when you first saw it, or what it is about this film that just really, really captures you.
2: Yeah, well, one of when I launched uh, the podcast that you were on, uh, one of the things that I was really hot on was the distinction between the films people see as their favourites and the films people see as the greatest film ever. Because I do think that's Mm. a different question. But for me, I've always found that very easy because I think Jaws is the answer to both of those questions. Um, Correct. (laughs) I I, I think not only is it my favourite film ever, but it is the greatest film ever. Um, And in preparing for this, I dug out my Blu-ray of the film and I was watching all the documentaries and stuff that are on the Blu-ray and you just the level of achievement given the level of adversity in jaws is incredible mm-hmm. you know this is a, a film that gets better the more you know about how it was made and it's pretty mm. incredible the first time you watch it um i don't remember the time the first time i watched it because i think i sort of just as many of us did i think kind of absorbed it by osmosis in that it was always on the tv and so i saw probably all of it in chunks before I ever sat down and watched the whole thing. Um, But once I did that, like, once you've watched the whole thing once, you find yourself watching it over and over again. And then when they did the re-release, I think it was 2012 they did the re-release, for (laughs) whatever anniversary it was, and then it was in cinemas again, and I went to see it on the big screen, and that just cemented it for me. That was that this is the greatest movie ever made. Everything about it works. The performances are so good spielberg had all of the spielberg things that would you know go on to make him one of the few directors who is genuinely a household name for everyone Mm. um it is the ultimate movie in just about every way i feel like saying that on this podcast is very much preaching to the converted um (laughs) but you know at least it's a movie take that the people in my immediate vicinity are going to agree with (laughs)
0: <laughs> this is very true yeah you are you are in good company here That's it. it's um, a safe like... space <laughs> yeah in fact you were one of the people who i i put out a call on twitter just to be like hey do people want to come on i already had you on my list before you even responded to my tweet because i was <laughs> like even if tom doesn't volunteer himself to come on i will persuade him <laughs> to come yes on. and I, think
2: I just i think i just said to you sarah i will talk about any scene from this movie you want me to <laughs>
0: Yes, you did, and may I say that we have given you an absolute doozy of a scene to talk about. You um, uh, yeah, I yeah. didn't know
2: because you just you just sent me the timestamp. You did tell me what the scene was, and so I put the film on. Oh, and... that's awesome!
1: <laughs>
2: I, put the, I, I put the film on, and I was watching it, and I was like, "Oh, it's probably been you know about a quarter of an hour through." And I brought up the little window that tells you how long through, and I was like, oh, "It could be that scene. Oh, it could be. Oh, it's mm-hmm. that scene! Yes!" <laughs>
0: I love that. I love that you had that organic reaction to it as well. That's really fun. Um, so, yeah, we we better get stuck in and start talking about this scene because I know there is a hell of a lot to talk about. And we have been building up to this particular moment for the last three episodes on this uh, podcast. So I think I mentioned this on a previous episode, but this is the scene that I think takes up the most podcast episodes. So we have spent... Now four episodes talking about the uh, the untimely demise of uh, little Alex Kintner. So in this scene, we finally we finally see it happen, and oh, it's a it's a moment. So um, if you are following along at home, then the timestamp of this scene is. 16 minutes and 55 seconds up to 18 minutes and 11 seconds so um it's basically as the the music starts to intensify as the shark is closing in on alex that's where we left it off last week which was the hardest place i've ever had to stop it um and then it finishes uh with the shot of the ripped inflatable kind of washing up onto the shore Um, and that's where we leave it so a lot of stuff happens uh between between those points um so tom you can you can go first and just tell us i don't know something about that something about this scene something that really jumped out to you um in this scene in particular
2: well i think one of the things that that i've listened to a few of your recent ones i'm not quite up to date you know for my sins um but i've listened to a lot of the recent ones and you've talked very eloquently about um the, the tension in this scene and the, the sort of, you know, the false moments, the false kind of scares mm. of um, as, as Brody gets increasingly anxious about what's happening. And then the thing I love about this is that you have absolutely no trust in Spielberg by this point. You don't know whether this is going to be another fake out or whether this is going to be the moment that it finally happens. And so, you know, as the music intensifies and it gets closer and closer and you're still, half of you is still expecting it to to be another fake out and for it to pull away. And then you see the shark break the surface and indeed break poor Alex. And it's it's quite (laughs) the moment. Yeah,
1: I, so first in the meta way that we're watching this, this has been one of my favorite scenes to watch because it just felt like sweet relief after a while. Like so <laughs> it felt like it felt like we've been holding in a sneeze for the last three weeks and we were finally able <laughs> to get it out this week. That's that was the it was this weird feeling of relief, which I've never had watching this scene. Mm-hmm. Um and where it was like, oh finally, like the tension has like so, at least something has happened. Um, and so it feels it's this really great sort of um, you know, within just the scene, the this denouement of the scene of just like coming down and like finally the the tension snaps and it's not great for poor Alex Kittner, but as a viewer, it's like I can finally mm. breathe again. And it's one of those scenes where, you know, when you watch an old movie, I think one of the important things is to take some stuff within context, um, and a simple way to do that for me is to kind of put myself in 1975. Like if you're going to see this and you've never seen this, a movie like this before, how does it feel? And I, I feel like a theater in 1975 seeing this for the first time would have just been like, Holy shit. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, that was so violent and it was a child. Um, and it's really every time I watch the scene, I think of of what the reaction in a theater must have been like. I know, you know, we have recording and I haven't researched this. So maybe this is uh, something that's out there. But I know now we can kind of record audience reactions at will on our phones. Um, but I would be interested to hear an audience reaction of, you know, the first couple weeks of Jaws being in theaters. Um, for this scene
2: yeah it's interesting on on one of the behind the scenes documentaries there is some footage of an audience watching it but not this scene there's a scene of everyone screaming at the ben gardner's head in the boat scene
0: mm. so you
2: could see this audience just losing their minds at the shot of his uh disembodied <laughs> head in the boat but yeah the, the, it would be the same for this scene you'd you'd, you'd love to hear the uh, love to hear the screams as sadistic as that sounds
0: uh, hey no we've been we've been plenty uh sadistic <laughs> on this pod before uh usually MJ but uh, <laughs> me as well because I was like I want to sure. I'm I'm ready for the blood I'm ready for the ready for the moment and obviously we have watched this scene and this film in an insane way so far that no one else would spend 4 weeks building up to seeing this death but i completely had that moment as well of just like sweet relief when it happened because we have been talking (laughs) about the moments leading up to it and i think you still get that sense of particularly with all the fake outs and the red herrings and things that are dropped in front of you in the couple of minutes that precede this moment and even then like that sort of happens over the you know space of about five minutes and i think it's still it's still shocking the moment when it happens just because we've sort of seen the kids splashing around having a good time screaming but screaming because they're having fun and the moments with uh harry as well in in the water and the girl screaming being dragged under as well and all those sort of moments like Brody we were kind of like sitting up in our chairs and being like oh is it now oh no it's it's not everything's okay everything's fine and I think we spoke about it on last week's episode as well where we said that because it kind of happened twice there were those two fake out moments um that it was you you get the sense after the second one has happened that everything is going to be fine because. It happening once could be a fluke. It happening a second time, you're like, no, everything is definitely fine. And then real quick, it it goes south and we realise everything is not fine. And it makes that moment so much more powerful. Like I had a, not quite like a celebratory fists in the air kind of moment, because it feels (laughs) wrong to celebrate a child's death in that manner. But I was kind of like, (laughs) I felt weirdly triumphant when this moment <laughs> this moment finally yep. happened i think i was just excited to get to it i was excited that it was happening after so long talking about it
1: well the good news is we both sound like psychos in this episode so. <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> whereas
2: there's me just watching zoom not watching our uh, jaws normally just you know i was i was relatively <laughs> excited when it happened as it's one of the best scenes of the movie but yeah you guys sound like you've been holding <laughs> yeah. this. You, you sound like you've been holding this in for months <laughs>
0: it's been a month to be fair. yeah
1: (laughs) one thing i noticed that i've never noticed before because i turned on the subtitles was sean saying michael get out of the water Hmm. and i i've known he has a line there but i've never paid too much attention to it um i think it's really important it seems like just kind of an insert shot and maybe like a small bit of fat. Like I feel like j- just like watching it, you don't necessarily know why that needed to be in there. But I think there's some important implications there because one, it drives home that this could have been anyone and we don't necessarily. Yeah, we do just kidding. Um, I forget. I started that point, um, <laughs> but we don't necessarily know if the sharks have gotten someone else either. So when we see Sean saying that, we can be like, oh, is he also, you know, is there more than one victim here besides, or more than two, I guess. And also, Michael's blood is in the water, right? Like, we see him with the first instance of blood in the movie. So there's this kind of subconscious connection you have to Michael being injured already at the start of the movie to where that little insert is this little this very small because it gets resolved pretty instantaneously i think this small little twisting of the knife by spielberg which i'll get to later in the scene but this scene is so mean it's such a mean scene <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: yeah i think that that little sh- that little shot of him because it's it's sort of done at the same time as his dad is yelling and for me it it just drives mm-hmm. home the connection between the little lad and his dad which you know we see in the um in the mirroring scene which is a, a bit later on and it, it it feels like you know i i read it more as just him idolizing his dad so much and just wanting to wanting to join in i guess in this very dramatic moment
0: yeah that's um that's a good point actually i'd not really thought about it of him kind of uh picking up on what brody is saying and yelling the same thing cuz obviously brody is trying to get everyone out of the water as well um and i think knowing what we know is coming in a few scenes time when um when is it sean yeah sean is um imitating Brody. he obviously like looks up to his dad as well it's quite Mm. it's quite sweet really that he is concerned about his concerned about his older brother and obviously like wanting him to get out the water but just picking up on something that um mj mentioned as well in that at this point, you don't know if more than one kid has has been attacked. We just see, we obviously see the blood of of one, which is Alex. But in the chaos that then ensues, you don't know if, an, if another child has been grabbed. And one thing that, well, a couple of things I picked up on is that um, a surprising number of these kids are also wearing red shorts. Um, I don't know if that is intentional hmm. or just if red was a particularly popular color of trunks in 1975 um but there i counted at least four of the kids and a couple of the adults as well um have red trunks yes i did pause and count um <laughs> <laughs> that's what this podcast does to you um but it that kind of like made me think in a i don't think it was intentional but it's fun to pick up on these things anyway kind of way is that it really could have been any one of these kids um if it is True that you know, red kind of sim is a symbol for danger. It really could have been any of those kids that were that were grabbed. It was just Alex was kind of wrong place, wrong time, really. And the only I think the moment when we realise that it is only Alex that has been has been got by the shark is when towards the end of the scene where Mrs. Kintner kind of emerges from the crowd and she is calling after Alex and eventually we sort of the camera just closes in on just her we don't then see the rest of the crowd on the beach and we realize that she is on her own she is the only one who doesn't have her her kids safely by her and where all the others have sort of now been reunited with their kids and it's a really heartbreaking moment it is also very cleverly done in terms of of how it unfolds how it goes from that chaos and not really knowing how many victims there have been to then just being very clear that obviously it is Alex who unfortunately um, has been killed.
2: Well, the thing I really love about that that you mentioned there, the the, the way Mrs. Kintner is, is, is followed is really interesting because when the, the shark first attacks and we see everyone on the beach kind of notice it, she's the only one who's not looking at the water. She's lying down mm. on her like towel reading and looking away and everyone else in that shot is looking at the water and has noticed something going on. And it's interesting because it's almost like, I don't know, like a complacency on her part that she's not looking there. And then as you say, all this chaos happens. And I think even the chaos is really interesting because if you you watch the chaos carefully, it's like every adult has gone to just collect one child individually. It's just lots of people Mm. pairing up. And then she's the one who's not with anyone at the end and she kind of melts out of the crowd. and it's actually, it's really well underplayed by, by Lee Fiero because she doesn't, she's not like screaming and falling to the floor or anything. She's just very quietly asking where, where Alex is. And I mm-hmm. think that's the, the genius of that performance actually is how much she underplays it when, you know, it's such a, um, such a huge moment and it would have been so easy for her to kind of, you know, devolve into sort of screaming histrionics at that point. But it's such a, an underplayed moment. And I guess that, that works so well with the, the way the rest of the scene is calibrated. Because, you know, you have all that chaos and the camera's cutting and the score is ramping up. And then as Mrs. Kintner melts out of the crowd, the score stops, the, um, the chaos stops. And all you're left with is just the gentle kind of ebbing of the water as she comes out of the crowd. And it really underscores the, um, the fact that although everyone was in danger this is the one person on whom the hammer has come down and i think that's a it's really nicely directed that that particular moment
1: yeah there's a lot of brilliant stuff in that moment there's um the the parents running towards the water to collect the children is i think really smart because i think in any other movie sans the presence of children they would be running away from the the threat but this shows like these are parents like they are prioritizing their children's lives above their own like they just saw what happened they it's not like anybody doesn't know there's a shark in the water or something attacking people in the water but they go out and rescue their kids and i think you hear stories of parents doing that all the time like that's you know one of the the core tenets of being a parent is that you would put your life in front of your your child's life so i think it's a really smart decision to have them running towards it rather than away from it because in you know what do we see in the superhero movies now everyone's running away as the heroes go in
2: and 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 it's not and it's not like a community thing either they're going for their individual Mm -hmm. child they're not you Mm -hmm. know trying to save everyone they're like my child is in that water i need to get them out
1: yeah it's still very individualistic it's still you know people caring about their own and we'll see that more in next week's Mm. um when they shut the beaches down that like people don't actually give that much of a shit (laughs) about, uh, Alex Kittner. And, um, you know, there's that. And then the, having her get separated, having Mrs. Kittner get separated from the crowd. It goes back to this theme. We keep seeing it. Mm -hmm. Chrissy gets separated from the crowd. Alex is further out than everyone else. Um, uh, Larry, you know, sidelines Brody on the ferry, mrs Kittner is standing on her own in this crowd of people she's separated from the group now this these these events are are consistently and continually isolating the characters that they affect in the frame um and that just keeps it keeps happening the whole movie until we're essentially only with three people in one location in the back half of the movie um so that happens. I think that you hit the nail on the head, Tom, with the, the, um, the performance being really understated. Not to make it too real. This is still a podcast about people watching Jaws minute by minute for the, a year. <laughs> um, but I've been present at two people close to me who have died. And it very much is that. There is not a lot of hysterics that happen when you have the realization that they're gone. Um, it's very quiet. And so I think that makes it more realistic, at least in my experience. I know, you know, obviously there are people who deal with that uh, much more than I have. Like they make, they, they are able to handle careers out of it. And I'm sure they've seen the gamut run of reactions, but in my experience in my little corner of the universe, that is exactly what happens in a moment like that. And then um, last thing, this, this is something that's always confused me about this, is when the shark actually attacks Alex, it doesn't look right. Am I the only one who like every time I've watched this scene, I've never quite been able to figure out how exactly the shark attacks Alex because it looks like the shark, like, rolls over mm-hmm. and it like the the movement of the shark in the water seems completely unnatural to me and it goes back to that otherworldly quality it's right after there's you know we hear the jaws theme again for the first time in a while and then there's this little underpinning of music that sounds like it would be more at home in close encounters (laughs) of it's this little it i think it's the strings it might even be a harp which would be a weird choice for jaws um but it works and we see the movement in the water but i've never been able to visually process what that movement actually is that results in alex ending up in the jaws of the shark
2: yeah it's interesting i think there's a i think there's a boring technical explanation for that uh, so i was watching as i said this documentary <laughs> earlier and um sure that was uh, that shot the actual biting down shot was one of the last things they filmed uh and it was um, shot by the second unit. Spielberg was 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 not around, um, and it sounds like they just had a nightmare. Hmm. So you've got this this twelve year old kid, Jeffrey Voorhees, <laughs> great horror movie actor, name by the way. Um, so he <laughs> yeah. is. Uh, so this this actor, they put him on like so. They 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 had half of the raft, and then the other half was like this essentially this blood pack that was going to explode. Um. And so they shot it, you know, a few times. And every time they shot it and it went wrong, they had to wait for all the blood, obviously, to clear out of the water before they could set it again. <laughs> Which I think is a great little detail. So they had this this 12-year-old kid. I think eventually um, they just had to deal with whatever they had because they had all these, you know, complicated effects things. Um, and it is, of course, it's the, I think it's the first time we see any of the shark in the movie. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, yeah, it is. It is the first time we see any of the shark. And then i this didn't we talked about it off mic last week have you seen the eight millimeter footage that was shot behind the scenes of jaws of them filming this scene i don't know if it's in the extras or not sarah sent it to me on twitter a couple weeks ago
0: no i don't think i have prepare to be sent a video tom Although maybe after we finish recording, because yes. otherwise <laughs> yeah. my phone is gonna <laughs> is gonna muck up the mics. Yeah. Um, I can describe it. It's um what I could only describe, I guess, as a fountain of blood. It's this truly horrifying. It's too much blood, if anything. And it's I'm... insane. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for blood being spilt in a in a film, particularly a film like this. But it's it's too much blood it re- it really is but it's it's so intense it's really crazy yeah i think maybe i have seen
2: it because it's like it's like that nightmare on elm street scene where johnny Depp gets pulled into the bed yes and the blood just goes up it's like that mm-hmm.
1: yes it's exactly like that but it's shot in eight millimeter which you know it kind of this is going to be weird it kind of looks like the zapruder film a little bit you know it's got that sort of quality um not to compare the fake murder of alex Kittner to the real murder of a u.s president um but it it looks too real on that grainy footage maybe it is like because you see at least you see the you most people i think uh, uh, particularly in america have seen the zapruder film and so watching anything on eight or uh eight millimeter is is kind of like oh this this feels way more like a documentary than, you know, a sixteen millimeter or even an eight, uh, and especially a thirty-five millimeter um, film. It just feels voyeuristic, mm. a little bit.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty intense, and this scene is very bloody anyway. And I mm-hmm. I had the same moment of not really being sure of what part of the shark I was seeing so just to continue my absolutely insane way of watching this scene this week apparently where i was like pausing every single frame um i i did that thing where you pause it and then kind of like hit the fast forwards on your thing so it kind of goes through it like frame by frame because mm-hmm. i wanted to be like what part of the shark am i looking at right now and <laughs> yeah let me uh, tell app- you appropriately
2: you <laughs> were taking a zabruda film approach to uh to watch it <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> Yeah, the magic fin.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was like, I don't know what part of the shark I'm looking at because it kind of looks like, it looks like two, you almost see like two fins at one stage. So it is mm-hmm. like, is he like on his, is he like on his back just kind of like floating in the water, like having a real good time and just like chowing down on this kid whilst he's doing it. I, I'm very confused by it. But my <laughs> slightly less technical explanation is sort of taps into what you were saying, MJ, as well, about it just feeling and looking otherworldly. I think if obviously I can absolutely uh believe that this was an absolute nightmare of a scene to shoot, so they really just had to go with what they had and the shark is far enough away that it's it you just see this mass almost, and I've always when I haven't been pausing it frame by frame and, and playing it that way. You just... It just looks... It barely resembles a shark. It's just this huge yeah. otherworldly mass. And somehow that makes it even more terrifying, I think. And even at this stage as well. It keeps enough hidden from the islanders who are there watching it and us as an audience so that some of those future red herrings we get will still be effective. So we have the the dummy shark which is caught and, and strung up on the dock and we... I think even no in the back of our minds then that shark is not big enough compared to the very small glimpses that we've seen so far so it just it keeps just just enough that we don't feel like we have seen the full scale of the beast yet and i think the first real good look at it we get is when the shark kills the guy in the pond where we sort of see it underwater but from above um and then obviously as it sort of springs up on on Brody is when we kind of really really see it properly so I think it's at this stage I think that it actually works or kind of goes in the film's favor that it still at this point remains this just mysterious massive object that no one really understands knows what to do with or anything else it's just this kind of thing this otherworldly thing that we don't understand
1: Sarah, I feel like this is week one and then in three or four weeks you're going to come on and be like, there were two biters! <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: Just, I'm going to get a DM from Martin that's like, well, congratulations, you fucking did it. She's broken. There's, <laughs> there's red thread, there's post-it notes all over the wall, there's drawings. <laughs>
0: It's not far off, to be honest. Um, <laughs> the insane uh, way of watching this film is—it's—it's doing—it's doing things to me. But believe it or not, it did—it um, <laughs> did benefit my watch of of this scene this week because I just really wanted to see everything. I really wanted to catch every single little detail. And on a slightly less insane note, there was one thing that I have never noticed before and I cannot believe I never noticed it before um is that when Brody gets up um and is then kind of like yelling at at everyone to get out of the water you can see how tentative he is about even being near the water he does not go in himself and he does sort of launch pretty quickly into like super cop mode but at the same time we know we've, we've literally just had the mention from Bad Hat Harry that Brody is scared of the water and I have never noticed before that Brody barely dips a toe in the like very very edge of the water. He is yelling at everyone else to get the kids out the water but you can see his unease at even being that near to the water and I feel really stupid for never having noticed something that glaringly obvious before. <laughs>
2: Well, this, this is a great scene, I think, for Brody's feelings of, of, of guilt about the whole thing.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's
2: that's what's illustrated in the famous the, the, the famous Dolly Zoom. Um, which, yeah. you know, only on this podcast will we be talking about this scene for half an hour and not mention the Dolly Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> I welcome. love it. You guys are doing great work. Um, <laughs> but the thing with that shot, and it plays into what you were saying, MJ, about the isolation thing. Because when that Dolly Zoom shot happens... There's no one behind Brody other than Ellen, who's, who's kind of massaging him. They're at the very back of the beach. And then, you know, that shot, you know, with the, the whole idea of the dolly zoom being that he remains the same size as the background kind of distorts. It is his whole reality distorting around him with mm-hmm. him feeling like he is the one to blame for it. Because, you know, he you know, went in a few scenes time when we see Mrs. Kintner slap him. He, he basically yeah. agrees with her. He takes a lot of that guilt. And that is what's ultimately obviously going to allow him to kind of get out on the water because he feels so responsible. But the the genius of that dolly zoom, as well as it just looking really cool, is that it, it highlights his isolation. It highlights the amount of blame he takes. And that manifests in, as you were saying, Sarah, him running to the water. He's got no intention of going near the water. But he feels like he needs to do something. He feels like he needs to lead, lead from the front. Because he feels like this is all his fault. And you know, by the time he runs up there to tell everyone to get out of the water, they've all got the message already. No (laughs) one's still, you know, having a great time in the water. They've all worked out that something has happened. So it is essentially pointless for him to stand there yelling. But he feels like he needs to be there. He feels like he needs to take responsibility. Because he knew that, you know, obviously he couldn't be sure, etc, etc. But he was pretty sure there was a shark in these waters that was causing serious damage. So he feels very culpable for everything that happens and i feel like you know the combination of the dolly zoom shot and then as you were saying sarah which i hadn't noticed either uh, actually um, his tentativeness to to get into the water i feel like all of it just illustrates how guilty and how responsible he feels
1: i had a point (laughs) completely vacated just right out of my brain
0: do you want me to go i I can't come back um yeah, there's a really good... I mean, I only on this podcast could we uh, fill that much time without talking about what I think a lot of people see as the most iconic shot of yes. Jaws, or certainly one of them. I would say this and the Brody reaction to the shark popping out of the water is kind of the moments everyone remembers from Jaws. But look, there is... It just... I mean, it's a bit of a joke, really, but it's just... It goes to show like how much other stuff there is to to dive into in this scene where that moment is like the fourth or fifth point in my in my notes that i made that i made on the scene um because there's so much good stuff that happens around it as well but one thing i mean that shot is incredible and i think that it's sort of fairly popularly known as like the vertigo shot as well so it's something that hitchcock does in in vertigo when he's looking down the stairs um i noticed it in the most unexpected of places the other day which is in the lion king um, they do it when the stampede is heading. Oh yeah, they, the do. they do. They do. Yeah, yeah. they do. Uh, you better believe that I found a way to talk about Jaws on my <laughs> Disney podcast. <laughs> I was like, my time has come. Uh, this is my two worlds meet in spectacular fashion. And I get to talk about Jaws. Um, but yeah, it's, it's those, I think, well, particularly Vertigo and, and Jaws are the, the uses of that technique that I think a lot of people, know and remember but it's incredibly effective on both what you said tom with that sort of sense of reality and everything distorting around him but also just zeroing in on Brody. you get the sense or the effect is really clarity it is that like you know holy shit moment (laughs) when it's sort of like the realization dread everything all Mm. those those moments that have led up to this with The various fake outs and the red herrings, and everything else that's happened in the lead up to this, as well. It's everything just crashing in around Brody and that moment of absolute pinpoint clarity of I was right, (laughs) but also, oh my goodness, this is happening right now, and this is a situation I now need to deal with because I think that the more fake outs there were in the couple of minutes leading up to this. The more at ease Brody was beginning to feel, and you sort of see it in the moment previously when Ellen is giving him giving him a shoulder massage, and you sort of see him change position in his chair a little bit, and he's visibly starting to relax more, even though he is still on this high alert and and on the edge. But the effect of that of that of that shot is really just it's everything just culminating <laughs> and. Everything that we've seen so far, and everything that is going to happen after this as well, it's we see all of that play out on on Brody's face, and incredible acting from Roy Scheider as always. Just because his face says so much without saying anything, um, and also just a a quick shout out to the the music cue in that moment Mm -hmm. as well um someone more musically minded than me would probably know how they created that effect or what instrument was used but it's sort of like that that slide sound where it does sound creepy and strange and weird but also it like perfectly fits the distortion of the the land around him and everything else it's just a perfect match between the music and what we're seeing on screen which is jaws in a nutshell really
1: (laughs) yeah it's uh it's strings it's it's kind of sounds like the whole string section to me Mm. um but i love that moment because roy scheider's face says everything Mm -hmm. but there it's not a big reaction there's not a there's not a really broad way it's really subtle and it conveys Almost nothing, because he still has to maintain some composure as a police officer, but also everything, all at the same time. And it's, I mean, it's really great. Um, (laughs) And I'm wondering if we're going to get through this Ray Shider talk without Sorcerer coming up. Uh, (laughs) But
2: I still haven't seen it. Um,
0: Oh, another wake. Without you seeing one of the greatest. Nor have I.
2: Nor have I, MJ. You're you're not (laughs) alone. Thank you. I I own a copy of it, but I've not
0: yet watched it. (laughs) Tom.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Tom. That's okay. Uh, I'm getting I'm getting it's becoming a such a sticking point on this show though that uh, my finals for class are this upcoming week and that is number one priority above all the new releases like America <laughs> got mank this week America got sound of metal this week I think nomadland is screening this week um or is streaming this week and that is my number one I have to watch it over my break mm-hmm. um so that I can finally have seen it and not keep continuously get flack on the show for not having seen it.
0: (laughs) It will reach the point where I refuse to record until you (laughs) say it. I'll just sit here like, nope. (laughs) Just holding the podcast at ransom. It's so good, honestly. I'm I'm excited (laughs) that you've got it to come.
1: Mj, Mj, not seeing sorcerer is the Yoko Ono of Let's Draw.
0: <laughs> yeah, me holding uh, the pod to ransom is uh, is <laughs> <saying just> the closest <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna
1: get a, I'm gonna get a DM that's just made of magazine clippings. It's like if you ever want a podcast again, <laughs>
0: <laughs> look, don't no, put I... ideas in my head because. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, but this, the the the, the I, I I don't know, is it. Do we call it the Zolly shot? I've heard it called that. Is that the official name for it because it's a zoom dolly? Yeah, right? so I've, they call it I've always shot. heard it called, I've always um, heard it as
2: dolly zoom, but I think it is called a it is called a Zolly as well, isn't it?
1: Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> it is yeah. one of the most anxiety-inducing inducing shots in all of cinema, I would say. <laughs> um it just it just feels, it conveys the idea of like getting tunnel vision so well. Mm -hmm. And you feel like you get tunnel vision focused on Brody. And then if you can also feel, it's almost like you're, even though you're looking at Brody, it's almost like you can see through his eyes, the tunnel vision he's experiencing as the adrenaline, I'm sure just dumps into his body and he becomes hyper focused on this situation. Um, It's so, so smart. And, I think that, shit, I lost it again. Okay, (laughs) so it's brilliant because we can feel what, we can almost see it through his eyes, but also we get the weight of the guilt. We know what's come before, and this is where it's important for everything, every element that comes before it is so important to this one shot. Like, you feel the weight of the previous 17 minutes and 20 seconds hit Brody like a ton of bricks. Everything, in his eyes, you can see, you know, even though he wasn't there, the flashback to the night of Chrissy's attack. Um, You know, you you can see that he is kind of realizing what she must have gone through as he sees this child. And you see him as this person who's sworn to protect Amity. You can see him as a father. You can see him as a husband, like, realizing his failings, realizing that he needs to step up, needs to get get into action and needs to rally this community around uh getting rid of this threat and i think it's really smart in this scene especially because there's so many moving parts like uh you know tom you were mentioning that the the actual bite was filmed by the second unit and it's weird because it's basically until that moment just kind of some people hanging out on the beach really let's On paper, that's what the scene is, but there's so much going on that I completely understand why you would need a second unit to cover some of it, because within that just kind of people talking and almost hanging out vibe, there is so much going on technically from the shot selection, the way everything is framed, the editing, the sound design, that it's they had to use the resources of shooting it like a set piece because that's what it is ultimately.
2: Definitely. I, th- I think the other element of, of Roy Scheider's performance in that shot as well, which is really interesting is you said the expression is like you said, he's not doing, he's not doing very much, but it's also saying everything. And I think one of the elements of that is that for him, as much as this is obviously a shock, it was also kind of inevitable. He, 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 knew the shark was there he knew that this was eventually going to hit the fan and so his his facial expression as well as you know as everything you said as you know his own failings his his need to swing into action it's also probably the least satisfying i told you so in history <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah like you really don't want to be right about about yeah, that exactly. particular thing do you it's <laughs> there's so much happening in that moment where it's like the the adrenaline the the realization the everything distorting around him but it is also that like well told you so guys this is now this is now it and the tunnel vision idea is very interesting as well because i think from this point on everything brody does is in some way linked to finding this shark or finding out more about sharks generally or protecting the townspeople Mm. from the shark like everything from this point on even when he's sort of chilling at home uh, you know I think in a in a few moments or after the town meeting he's at home and he's like reading books about about sharks and even when he's you know sitting with Ellen in the house you can see that that is all that's on his mind and he's still kind of got the the kids in the corner of his eye and is and is making sure that they are safe as well so everything from this point on just really becomes about that 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 is now brody's brody's job and we have had that in the lead up to this as well because obviously following the death of chrissy which is the first thing we see he is then investigating it but now the just bringing back our our uh, perpetrator shark again um Brady has now seen the suspect. <laughs> he has seen yeah. him with his own eyes. So now there is absolutely no doubt, no question, no maybe, no, it could have been a boat propeller, no amount of, you know, uh, blackmail or scheming or money changed hands, you know, behind backs is now going to distract from what is is now his job, is is finding this shark or or getting rid of this threat to the townspeople and all of that conveyed in that shot and his reaction is i mean what a film i i say that a lot on this podcast but what a film
2: yeah it's it's it's, it's a bold conclusion to reach in like episode 13 or whatever of jaws Podcast, but yeah jaws is pretty good it's pretty good
0: it's pretty good <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think I
2: think the interesting thing about about what you were just saying is that you're right. That after this point, it is a tunnel vision thing. Everything is about the shark because this is such a loss of innocence moment for the whole town, and I think it all manifests really clearly in the the final image of this scene, which is the kind of remains of the uh, of the inflatable being sort of washed up uh, along with loads of blood, and it's it's a really gruesome image, but it really conveys everything we need to know about the town in that moment that suddenly the childlike innocence of the town as represented by the inflatable is being washed away both literally and metaphorically by blood it's it's an incredibly gruesome image but it really conveys everything we need to know about what's going to happen next
0: and there is a chunk taken out of that raft as well like Again, I paused it because I wanted to look at everything, and it the whole like almost like a tu- a triangle. Sorry, is like cut out of the side of the of the raft, so you can see like where the shark's jaws would have kind of like closed around it, and it's to then imagine that that is what would have happened to Alex is that his body would have been ripped apart in that way. That is so much more effective and so much more terrifying than actually seeing the remains of this poor kid wash up on on the beach it's it's as terrifying and i think the film would have been an 18 certificate if we'd have seen a chewed up little boy on the beach um but it <laughs> it still has that power and that effect in just that very very simple image and it really lingers on on that moment as well and i was sort of conscious of time because i knew at, you know at some point i was gonna have to pause it and and that was the end of the scene that we're talking about this week and it holds on that final image for a lot longer than you would think it would
2: yeah there's a whole thing in this scene about the contrast between chaos and quiet because that's something that that, that it plays with a lot you know you get that the moment where the shark breaks through and for the next kind of thirty to forty seconds, it's absolute carnage as everyone's running and splashing, and there are people shouting and screaming on the beach. And then everything just stops. You get Mrs. Kintner, and then you get the the really quiet scene of you know the the inflatable kind of gently lapping against the uh, against the shoreline. It's the whole scene is about really elegantly switching between absolute bedlam. And really unsettling quiet. and I think that's the thing that this scene does so brilliantly is the way it, it, it knows when to turn everything up and when to really silence everything and to really allow us to sit with the horror of what we've seen and you know I, I think a lesser film would have you know would have kept kept it high kept it loud kept it noisy but um, yeah, Spielberg knows exactly when to, to, to let everything settle because you know the thing that really makes this horrifying is is not necessarily what happens but the way um the way that that affects everyone in in the Mm -hmm. aftermath of this you know this this town these people they are never going to have that same naivety again because what they have seen is so shocking and you know the the consequences that's going to have on um on the various people particularly you know Brody um yeah, you know, the person who should be facing the consequences is is, is Mayor Vaughan, but uh, that's not going to happen. Because <laughs> if, if there's one thing the last four years have taught us is that people do not face consequences for things they do wrong politically.
1: I don't understand
2: what you're talking about. <laughs> hey, what? it's not just you guys; we've got our share of problems. <laughs> that's crazy talk.
1: <laughs> that little button on the scene of the 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 raft on the shore just mangled and deflated and bloody this is what i was talking about when i said the scene is really mean and this goes back to something i said pretty early on in the podcast where you know spielberg's got this bizarre reputation for being the guy who's like make schmaltzy sentimental movies and it's like where find me that (laughs) and then we can talk but until then i have no idea what you're like the guy that murdered a child immediately after a dog like uh it's just this this very it's so gruesome and horrifying and violent and it makes for excellent filmmaking it's very visceral and i understand he's grown up and he's gotten away from that he hasn't made a super violent movie in a long time um i guess what minority report would might might qualify as the last pretty violent one he made munich uh now that i think about it but it it's still this thing of like this is a brash bold movie something i've also said before on the on the show it just it takes a lot of big risks and swings that are really satisfying payoffs yes even you know killing a kid especially after three weeks of talking about it <laughs> um can feel that way because he stretches that tension out so much that the, the initial relief isn't like, I'm glad that kid died, but it's like I, like I said at the beginning of the show, I'm glad something happened finally. I have a moment to breathe. At least there's some sort of closure and it's tragic and it's horrifying and it was super gory, but at least something happened. And I think that's the best, that's Spielberg at his best. He, he does that almost like no other director, just the way he's able to milk a scene without milking it. Um, or at least making it obvious that he's milking it is so, I, I mean, it, and this is a couple movies in for him too, you know, this is, this is someone at the start of their career and there's such a, it's so crazy watching this movie in the 2020 where it's you know you have the rest of spielberg's career up until this point and we can debate you know whether he got good or bad or whatever but at least for the better part of 20 years he was putting out not just massive hits but massive crowd-pleasing hits that by today's standards are will be and some of them are like jaws considered classics and will be considered classics for decades to come these really kind of timeless pieces that will hold up, I think, better than a lot of people in his class. And um, it's kind of amazing.
0: Yeah, it's. I will never buy into that Spielberg only makes really lovely, wholesome films because my argument will always be, but have you seen Jaws? Which is... Uh, you know what I say a lot of the time, anyway, to just anyone I'm talking to, films about uh, because I'm known for how easily I can swing a conversation to talking about Jaws. Um, but it's this scene is is mean. It's so mean. I really I can't get over what we see happen in this scene. And one thing that I I don't think we've mentioned yet actually is that we it puts us back into the we've we've brought this up before as well the the first first shark perspective where we are the shark and i did not want to be the shark at that moment because the moment that it puts us in the the position of the shark is when alex is being like dragged underwater so in a a a weird horrible (laughs) decision but one that ultimately is very successful is at the point this kid is being like dragged under to his death we are put in the position of the killer again and it's horrible because you hear that kid gasping for air screaming for help and we as the audience are put into into the, I didn't want to say shoes because sharks can't wear shoes Um, but we are put into the position of, of the shark in that moment and that somehow just makes it even worse, even more brutal than I think it already is, and that comes after we've. Or maybe it's just I can't remember the exact order, but when we sort of see the like the fountain of, of blood and the the actual moment of impact, and then it sort of it turns a bit quieter. It sort of does go between loud and quiet, like we mentioned. But then when we are underwater and see it from that angle, it's horrible. I don't want to be the shark in that moment. <laughs>
2: I mean, all I'll say is that if you can put a shark in handcuffs, you can put it in shoes.
0: Hey. (laughs) 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 Oh, it was only a matter of time before (laughs) before it came back. (laughs) But um, yeah, I don't know if you... I had a couple of very silly things I spotted that I was going to mention, but I don't know if you guys had anything slightly more sensible before I I get to that point.
1: Um, I don't know if you heard, but we just talked about sharks and shoes. So
0: <laughs> I
2: think you're saying it's difficult to yep. go back to serious from there, so let's just lean in.
0: <laughs> it's happening. Okay, I as long as this works with the magic of technology, I'm about to drop an image into our Discord chat, which I realize does not work for those listening, but I will tweet it out as well once this episode goes out. Because when I tell you, I laughed at this moment it was a very inappropriate moment to laugh but there is this one guy i don't know if you have spotted him in the <laughs> of course no one else has spotted him because who pauses this film uh, as much as i do to write notes um but there is this one guy in a white hat who when everyone is like running out to save the kids and they're sort of like panic all over their faces there is then this guy i hope that works who looks like he is having the time of his (laughs) life um (laughs) i wrote down the timestamp uh because i'm that person if you want to pause the film at 17 minutes and 33 seconds you will see this chap he's right at the front he is wearing a white hat sunglasses and has a fantastic mustache um and he honestly looks like he is having the best time ever um he
1: he looks like (laughs) He looks like Jimmy Buffett in Jurassic World was trying to save the margaritas.
0: <laughs> it's very that. <laughs> Same energy, yeah. <laughs> um, Yeah, I've never noticed this guy before because why would you? But there he is. And it really made me chuckle in a moment that was not funny um, at all.
1: <laughs> yeah, this guy... This guy is goals. <laughs> <laughs>
0: to be that happy that jubilant that elated as you are running into the sea to save a load of kids who are potentially about to be eaten by a shark is he's
1: directly <laughs> in front of brody too just yeah like immediately so yeah is, i think uh... it's i
2: think that's what it is that's that's the extra going i'm right next to roy Scheider. i'm getting <laughs> in the movie <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep yeah and then like roy Scheider has to just act like a cop while he's looking at these guys like smash mouth ass <laughs> hat
0: yeah it,
2: this, it, it just reminds guy... it just reminds me of um i i did an interview once for the the terrible film uh, tolkien which was the nicholas holt biopic mm. about mm-hmm. uh, jr tolkien and there's a scene in it where uh, they're playing i think they're playing rugby and I was chatting to some of the actors uh, for this for this interview and they said that there were quite a lot of very hard tackling extras in that scene because they worked out that if you tackle Nicholas Holt, you'll get in the movie. <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> that is smart. Uh, I can only... That's
2: super funny.
0: <laughs> I can only think that that is exactly what this guy is is thinking and my my final thought on it is that um this guy this is the energy that i'm taking into 2021 just to <laughs> face yeah adversity disaster perhaps uh, you know <laughs> giant predators uh to face it with this amount of joy um it is is my goals basically for for the coming he, yeah year. He, he looks um, a bit like he's yeah.
2: just noticed that the shark's wearing shoes
0: <laughs> That's it. We've nailed it. That's why. What-
2: <laughs> yeah, either that
1: or he's like, "All right, I'm finally going to get to see a shark in handcuffs." Yeah. <laughs> My lifelong dream achieved in this moment yeah. as the police chief is right behind me. Mhm. Uh This guy I love extras doing weird stuff like this like the 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 most famous one is it Skyfall or Quantum of Solace it's one of the James Bonds where the guy is just sweeping the air.
0: Mm. <laughs> yeah. Have I, you guys seen that? I have. I can't remember which film it is, but I have seen I've seen the meme.
1: <laughs> it's it's one of the Daniel Craig James Bonds this guy's push brooming in the background but I don't know if he was making too much noise and they had to tell him like, "Hey, just kind of pretend." But he is inches like six inches above the ground and he's the only extra in the scene behind daniel craig (laughs) and he's just pushing this broom across the sidewalk but it's so far above the sidewalk there's so much room
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) there's uh i can't remember what film it is now but maybe mm, no it's gone it's gone from me but um i looking well as proven in this podcast i like to look for every tiny detail so looking out for an extra doing the absolute most and putting the extra in extra is what i like to do when i watch a film
1: (laughs) yeah that's pretty good i mean star wars is chock full of them right like Mm. all the stormtroopers goofy stuff happens with stormtroopers all the time
0: yeah falling over tripping over things just to to get in the film make themselves known yep (laughs) gotta do what you gotta do um my other uh thing that i had in my notes uh just because it's always something that i like to mention is the uh subtitle descriptions of the music so as the the intensity and the pace of the music really changes as the shark is kind of closing in on alex um the subtitles simply say menacing instrumental music intensifies which is i think again just jaws in a nutshell (laughs) um and reminds me of a gif or a meme or something i've seen where it's like this cat just looking at something and it says like in the subtitles jaws music intensifies and again <laughs> is very relatable and something that i uh would would see as being my personal goals is just to have my life be dramatic enough that it is um scored by uh, jaws music
1: <laughs> i mean that's 2020 in a nutshell isn't it it really is
0: <sighs> yeah <laughs> I've just resigned myself to the fact that 2020 is uh, is Jaws, and I really thought that I would be happier um, spending a year living the reality of my favourite film, but turns out it's not a good time.
1: At least you started a podcast to cope.
0: <laughs> this is true, and I'm now broadcasting my breakdown for the world to hear. So, uh... <laughs> 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 oh.
1: Yeah, you're, you're drawing diagrams of what the shark looks like when it's attacking Alex, mm-hmm, and... Mm-hmm
0: wearing shoes yeah it's, uh, <laughs> it's happening um yes <laughs> did you guys have anything else or we start uh before we start wrapping up you wanted to mention
1: i think i'm pretty well covered
2: yeah me too i think i'm done
0: okay we, we've really uh had a lot to, to chew on in this scene we we, the... we just did ten hey. minutes. we just did
2: a hey, we just did 10 minutes on one smiling extra so i think <laughs> yeah
0: Giving the people what they want. This is what i <laughs> are here for. Um, <laughs> yeah, we did um, We did joke uh, before we started recording about making the episodes uh, be as long as the segment of film that we're talking about. Um, I think we would have to speed it up to like chipmunk speeds or something to get all of this in and it would not be easy to listen to. Cause, uh,
1: yeah, and it, it, it was an abject failure <laughs> um, on that one. <laughs>
0: absolutely yeah we we will spend an hour plus talking about a, a two-minute scene you better believe we will um well yes, no, no you've, con- that you've is... convinced
2: me you've convinced me i'm changing my waterloo road podcast we're doing it minute by minute
0: now <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness tom <laughs> you would never I, you would i you would be old and gray before you got the chance to finish with how many yeah. episodes of that there is <laughs> um but (laughs) that leads me a perfect opportunity um to thank you tom for being an incredible and amazing guest um we have loved having you on and bringing your um jaws love and insight to the pod has been has been really great so um yeah you mentioned your podcast there so if you want to tell people where they can find you um on social media and elsewhere and if you've got anything to plug um then yeah now's your time
2: Oh, well, thank you very much. Um, I, I, I've done a few podcasts since I started doing the Waterloo Road one, and so I sort of feel like I should plug it. But also, <laughs> 99 out of 100 people listening to this are not going to care about my <laughs> podcast. So for those who do, um, I host a podcast going episode by episode through the naughty's BBC classroom drama, Waterloo Road. Um, yes, yes, there are still people watching that. It's on iPlayer in its entirety, so um, it can be done. And the podcast is called "Everything from Nothing: The Waterloo Road Podcast." Um, yeah, we do an episode every week. We've even had interviews with some of the cast members. Um, no one is more surprised than I. Um, <laughs> <laughs> beyond beyond that, I am a, a freelance journalist, mainly writing about film. Um, for outlets including uh, Yahoo Movies, um, Metro, Flickering Myth, all of those sort of places. I also occasionally write about pro wrestling um, for outlets including Steel Chair Magazine and uh, sometimes The Ringer. So yeah, if you have any interest in hearing any more of what I have to say, those are the places to go. I am a shameless self-promoter, so you can <laughs> find all of my work on Twitter at Tom J Beasley that is the place to go because yeah, unlike some people, I have no qualms about promoting my stuff. So that's what will happen. It's just me.
1: Wow, mention me by name next time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it us. Um, <laughs> No, and absolutely. it's it, There's a lot of... People doing film stuff, but um, Tom is doing a lot, and it's all really great. So absolutely, you you plug away, Tom. You you take all the time you need to tell people where they can where they can find you um, because. Hey, look, we have no shame either in uh, in <laughs> us in promotion. So uh yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely fine by us. And uh, on a similar note, you can find uh, the podcast us on Twitter. We are at Jaws for a minute, and you can find us individually. I'm at Sarah Buttery, and MJ is at MJ Smith eight nine one. Um, we have got a competition going at the moment. We've mentioned. Uh, a couple of times in this episode and many times on previous episodes that uh, we discussed on I believe episode four um, what it would look like if you tried to arrest a shark so that is the competition um, that is is pretty much open to however you want to interpret that we have received some drawings we have received a sculpture we are potentially having a cake baked um what (laughs) you better (laughs) believe it um we had a uh like a three and a half minute video clip which is one of the funniest things i've seen um of uh, someone acting out a interrogation between uh a detective and a shark honestly this has been just the every time i get something come into the inbox it makes me laugh so much and i immediately send it to mj like stop everything you're doing um, and please watch look at this thing because it's very yeah, funny that
1: that that video in particular i got caught up with school stuff this week and didn't watch it until right before i watched the minute of the movie that we needed to watch and then immediately hopped onto discord because that's my mo and uh it is something so It is. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's um, we'll hopefully get to share some of the the things we've received um, a bit later on and as we sort of decide a winner as well. But there is still time if you did want to enter. Um, the, I would say the only rule is it does have to feature a shark. We've also been sent some very strange stuff to my inbox, which I don't look at. Um, <laughs> and more personal details than anyone would ever need to give out. But um, if you did want to create something, uh, you could do photography, you could write a poem, you could dress up as a shark, you could, I don't want to suggest anyone goes to find a real shark to put handcuffs on them but if you're some kind of professional who works with sharks and it wouldn't be cruel, um, go for it. Uh, (laughs) Interpretive dance is another option, we keep putting it out there hoping that someone will do it. Um, Yeah, basically any way that you want to interpret that creative brief of how would you arrest a shark, um, or a shark in handcuffs or anything adjacent to that um yeah please send it to us uh, the email is jaws for a minute at gmail.com um, or you can send it to us on twitter if that works better for you um and yeah any other feedback you have for us um comments or questions um then please send those to our email as well we would love to hear from you and uh, we have merch as well uh my I tweeted this a little while ago but my my mum has uh stocked up on for a minute merchandise she proudly wears it down to the shops and tells anyone who will give her five minutes uh that her daughter has a podcast so i don't have to pay for any marketing which is great because it, it it's coming for free um but if, if you also want to uh have something with our logo on it you can get that from redbubble um or Tee public and the links for those are in our twitter bio um and yeah i i think that's us for this week so um until next time it's jaws o'clock somewhere